Punching Holes in the Darkness is a podcast by the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. It's an opportunity for pastors and leaders in Michigan churches to have their voices heard and to share how to best reach our mission field from Detroit to the Upper Peninsula. Friends, I want to introduce to you one of our new partners. It is GuideServe. They are our financial partner who helps us take care of all of our nickels and noses, so to speak. Uh, GuideServe is an outsourced accounting partner for our Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Uh, GuideServe provides professional accounting solutions to churches and ministries all across the country. And they offer, they truly offer some comprehensive accounting and payroll solutions to organizations ranging from just beginning church plant to large churches and expansive ministries. And listen, if you'd like to know more about them, you can visit their website at guideserve.com or send them an email at info at guideserve.com. And by the way, if you mention BSCM, uh, when you do, it'll be a benefit to us as well. So welcome our new partner, GuideServe. Well, hello there. It's great to have you here on our podcast, Punching Holes in the Darkness, for the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. It's always a privilege to have you join with us. Our podcast is all about how we can encourage pastors and churches and leaders here in Michigan and keep them informed of what's going on in their state and our denomination and how God is using people within our convention and our state particularly to punch holes in the darkness. Thank you for joining with us. Today, we have the privilege of having a dear friend with us, uh, Tim Steele. Tim uh, is uh, the pastor and leader of Crosswaves Church. And uh, now, I'm not gonna tell you a location because the location's different. It's not a one particular location. This is a church really, truly without walls. And uh, it's a unique, unique setting. Uh, Tim and I met uh, about five years ago when I came. He was just venturing into this this kind of ministry. And when he came and sat down in my office, began to tell me about it, he said, "Uh, we're going to do a church that doesn't meet anywhere particularly. It's going to be groups out on the Internet. It's going to be out. uh, And he began to explain to me, and I'm going, this is not going to work. I just had to, I said, this is crazy. This guy's crazy, and he's wanting us to help fund him, get him started. But because of his heart and his passion and others who knew him well and his reputation that preceded him, I said, all right, let's do this thing. And I sat back and said, well, I give it a year. Well, you know, with all this COVID thing that's happened, he has turned out to be one of the most brilliant men on the face of the earth in ministry. It's just been amazing because what he has been doing is exactly what, many of us are doing today. And so, Tim, thank you for joining with us, my friend. Man, I appreciate you coming and being part of this and, and being part of the family we call the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Well, it's good to be here, and I'm definitely going to have my wife listen to that intro. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> well, it, it is it is uh, pretty – it is true, Tim. I mean, when I first met you, I thought, man, I don't know, I've never heard of this before. How can this work? How can this happen? And, uh, and truly because of your reputation and others who said, man, this guy's really got it. He's a good guy. Uh, if anybody can make it happen, he can make it happen. 
So, uh, Tim, when you came to me you, and you began telling me the story and the idea about this, uh, one of the things I said, how, how are you going to, how in the world are you going to make it work? How are you really going to connect with people? And you had a vision for it. Can you kind of tell me your history and what precipitated this and what brought about your vision to do church literally uh, online? Well, I was actually on staff at a church that is one of the, uh, it's in the top, it's every year it's in the top 100 largest churches in America. And I would say it's between 40 and 50 in size in the country. And I was on staff of that church. And it was a great experience, great people doing some incredible things for the Lord. And yet the more I served there, the more it was about how do we handle the money? How do we handle the crowd? How do we continue to grow? And it, to me, uh, discipleship becomes harder within the crowd. And even though I love the experience and even though it's a phenomenal church and they're continuing to grow and doing some great stuff, I just got disheartened. Uh, with a lot of the things. I felt like we were growing uh, the campus that I worked at. I felt like we were growing in size, but we weren't truly making disciples. And, and so when I, I uh, left there, I just started thinking, how can we do things differently? And the more I thought about this, the more I thought this could work. And I thought of all the different things with small groups around the country, like what's happening in China. Uh, China, they keep talking about that by, I heard a statistic the other day, by 2030, China could actually be bigger than us in amount of Christians in the country. And yet that's all happening by small groups. And, but they have an issue there, and it's in theology. Somebody becomes a believer, and next thing you know, he's teaching a teaching a group in his house and he doesn't know anything about exactly. And so I thought, how can we use technology uh, to actually uh, teach people the word and yet I'm not being there and what we have found. And we, this is stuff we've learned and discovered as we went through that we actually, I have a group that meets in my home on every Wednesday night, but my group is the worst group, uh, Everybody else's group is better than mine. You know, that speaks volumes about certain people. Right? It does. <laughs> and, 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 and our system is, is I, I videotape our, our weekly Bible talks. And so I set the table. Mm-hmm. All of our groups start with a meal. Uh, we believe a meal is how it should start. And so our groups take about 40, 45 minutes to have a meal. Then they take about 10 to 15 minutes in prayer requests and talk about how the Lord is answering or working through previous prayers. And then we do the, uh, uh, the Bible talk video. We include music. Uh, at one time, we were the only church in America that did not play live music, and we were actually using um, another church's music. And we were able to get that... Uh, Legally, and all that. Yeah, yeah, and so, uh, and then there are questions at the end of every uh, Bible talk that that's where, to me, that I set the table, 
but the true discussion in the questions is where discipleship is really happening. So really kind of at the heart of what this ministry has been about is discipleship. Yes. It's really, you just, you had kind of said from your, your experience there that you were not seeing the, the true development of disciples, strong, growing, maturing, reproducing believers is what disciples should be. Um, and that just wasn't taking place and you wanted to find a better way to do it. Right, and, and so I came up with three core values. And my three core values is how we built this ministry. The three core values is, is that discipleship happens best in the context of relationships. And discipleship in the church that I was attending, that I was on staff at, this mega church that had many campuses. And again, they're a phenomenal church. I, I, it was a great opportunity to serve there. I don't believe discipleship happens well in a crowd. It happens within small contexts of relationships. I think, I think that's true. I think that's a biblical pattern. Of course, we saw Jesus and his disciples, what he did. He never got over 12, and he cut that down to 11. Right. Uh, but uh, it was always small group disciples. And I believe that's a, a good way to do it. Uh, many, many of our churches, when you go back to the historic, traditional Southern Baptist church that was built on Sunday school, those were small groups. Right. They broke people down into small groups. They broke them down to age groups, maybe affinity groups, depending on what. But historically, that was what built a strong church and a strong, strong denomination was basically discipleship. And then, of course, they had other kinds of discipleship training times and on top of that. But that's what took place, and I, I agree with you 100%. That, is, well, that yeah. was a big a big core value. The second core value that everything we do is built off of is that ministry happens best in teams. What I find fascinating is, is every time Jesus sent people out, he sent them out in at least groups of two. Uh, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, to get the donkey, he sent two people. And so we feel like ministry should always be within teams. So each of our groups, we call them hotspots, uh, have ministry outreach things that they do as a group. And then the third thing, and this kind of goes back to the mega church thing, the amount of money. Uh, I sat in one meeting, I think it was the previous year, our budget uh, was over $11 million. $11 million. And that's just amazing for all the campuses that they had. Um, we just feel like ministry should, um, uh, resources should go through go towards ministry, that's the third core value, and, and not a mortgage. And so we wanted to get away from the financial burdens that you have to have when you have a building. Why? And buildings are expensive. They, they are. And maintaining those, and uh, if you don't maintain those, then they get real expensive. And uh, we understand that well as a convention. That's why not long ago we made some changes uh, with buildings and not owning the big buildings that we used to have. And so we're trying to be streamlined so that we could have our people in ministries out in the field instead of in an office particularly. So uh, that's kind of a, a very similar mindset and concept. Uh, you mentioned something about locations. How many different locations do you have and how many groups do you have at this time? Well, we have about 25. We just started a group in um, 
Illinois uh, Neoto. I don't even know where the city is. It's across the river from Iowa. And we've got a couple that is hosting, uh, starting to host a group there. We've got a group starting in Houston. And then we've got groups in Pennsylvania. Michigan, of course, is our biggest spot. Ohio and Virginia mm -hmm. is where our, our groups are now. And now we are nationally advertising across the country. And we, um, we're hoping now that we feel like we've got our training together, uh, that was an issue. Uh, people wanted to see a group or a hotspot in action. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have that system because if we're talking to somebody in Nevada, we don't have anybody close to you. And so we have videotaped uh, entire training sessions that explain how to do it, why we do it, uh, what's the best way to do it. And um, that, that is being very well received. The people who are going through our training says that they feel like now they're ready to go. And so we're hoping to grow. Our goal is 100 groups in the next year. And in each group you have, what's an average number of people in a group? That you we average about just over seven. And that includes some of our newer groups that's getting off the ground. But we've got, um, we've got groups that have uh, 18, 19 people in them. Mm -hmm. uh, the goal is, is to not to have a group. When you hit that size, the problem becomes is you want it to be a casual group where people just talk like you're at dinner time with a restaurant with six people and people just kind of, when you get more than 17, 18 years old, people got to raise their hand. Yeah. And then we don't want that. That to us is you've now, you've surpassed the group size that you really want. And then we start talking to them about how do you split off and take some people with you. Yeah. When, my, my history in small groups and my experiences, we found that 10 to 12 was really the optimum size because after that, it, it begins just like I said, a little unwieldy. There begins to be a jockeying for position and so forth and so on. And uh, you lose some of that intimacy as well. Right. And so uh, the smaller the group, up to 10 or 12, somewhere in there. And uh, uh, I think it's, it's a good number and it works. And then you, you're planning to create a new group out of that uh, as soon as it gets to another certain number. That was our, back, my background in that. So it seems to be the same thing that, uh, that I've experienced as far as the, the structure of a small group. What, was, what were some of those difficult things for you to do uh, at the beginning? I know as you're ramping up to this thing, as you're going up to uh, technology has changed quite a bit, even in the, five years or so that we've been uh, acquainted and doing that, you've been doing this, technology has changed considerably. And I know that there was quite an investment for you up front. You really looked to saying, you know, we're going to be investing in some equipment and some things to make this happen because that's really the key to all of it is quality video presentation, some of the graphic work that you did, some of the cartoon work and so forth that you guys did. Uh, I thought it was very, very quality first class, but you paid for it. <laughs> it costs. So what were some of the difficulties besides maybe even technology? Tell me some of the challenges you had starting this up. And I'm asking that because there may be some guys out there who are really thinking about the same kind of ministry. Well, I, I remember when we started, we had flip cameras. And they were like 720 
in the, the pixels mm -hmm. and you had to have the spotlights right on me because they, they couldn't handle the lighting. And you know, now we've got the HD cameras that you can adjust the lighting in the camera. And so even if it's dark, they can lighten you up. And, and so just an investment in understanding cameras, but you start with what you got, you know, uh, it was amazing how people bought into it, even though we look back at that and kind of laugh at the quality. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that one of the biggest things about a video ministry is sound. We put a lot of uh, money into sound, uh, trying to make sure our sound is proper, uh, making sure that during a taping that we have two uh, sound outlets. Uh, yeah, but the biggest issue I had outside of the technology part was explaining what we're doing. Mm. That was the biggest thing. Friends, we want to welcome today uh, One Mission TV as our sponsor here at uh, Punching Holes in the Darkness podcast. They have been an invaluable partner with us since I've come here to uh, the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. What they effectively have done is they took all of our media resources and we put them together in this one neat package that One Mission TV takes care of. They're just doing an admirable job for us and have really taken us to a different level in our media work. Here's some things they've done for us. They've done web design, they can do logo design, designs for print materials, and of course any kind of video presence and, and recording you'd like to do. And uh, they've really helped us enhance our online presence as they can for you. Great guys, great partners, you will be glad you have done this. They're really a one-call media company and I think you'll be blessed by using One Mission TV. And friends, if you want to contact One Mission TV, you can do so at info at onemission.tv. That's info at onemission.tv. The biggest issue I had outside of the technology part was explaining what we're doing. Mm. That was the biggest thing. Uh, I remember one time an ad, we, you know, we run these ads and uh, a guy in one of the Southern Baptist universities just was ripping us back. And, uh, and so he's just telling me how this is not biblical and all this kind of stuff. And so I looked him up and saw that he was attending one of our universities. So I just reached out to him. And first of all, when I told him that I was a, uh, a church planter with Southern Baptist. First of all, that changed his tune. <laughs> At least it gave me some credibility, credibility yeah, that he would talk to me. And it took us a while to truly explain what we are because a lot of people want to call us an online church and we're not. I think the word online and church is an oxymoron. We are a, uh, a community of believers that meet in a home. And so I know that every week when we post our weekly video, that I have people watching this video that are not part of a group. I know that, but I don't consider them part of our church. We, from the get-go, have said, we believe that you don't do church alone. There are no Lone Rangers serving the Lord, and it needs to be in a community. And so we tell people we're not an online church, but it took us a while to figure out how to explain that properly. Right. 
Well, now one of the thing, one of the questions I have is what are the different formats that you use for delivery? Is it just a website delivery? Do you use uh, YouTube? Do you use it, it, Facebook? What What are the different platforms that you might use, or is there just one particular one? No, we we have uh, we we do have a YouTube channel. We do have a uh, Facebook. Every week we post the weekly video. We also have a uh, Roku and a Apple TV app. Uh, when people become a hotspot, the easiest way, if they don't have Apple TV, the cheapest way for 39 bucks, you can buy your Roku. Correct. And then you just type in Crosswaves Church and the weekly video is there. Plus we've got all kinds of other training resources within that, uh, that app. And so the app is very helpful to us. And, um, and so we use the, uh, uh, on our website, Facebook, YouTube, and on our uh, Crosswaves uh, church app. So you have a church, you have a church app for like iPhones and so forth. And right. Smartphones Android, and so forth. Uh, all smartphones. And it also has a fill in the blank like if you're following along. Mm -hmm. And then I add also within the app every week, different things that I couldn't cover in the Bible talk. Mm -hmm. I, I have extra study things that you can read from commentaries and things that go along with the topic. You know, one of the things you, we've said in conversation and talking about this and discipleship, you made a statement that I thought, that's pretty sharp. That really is pretty accurate knowing pastors as I know them. You said, the best way to do discipleship is to remove the pastor, get him out of the way. Uh, can you expound on that? Because I know what you mean exactly. Some may not understand that, but why don't you expound on that a bit? I think of it this way. You, you just had heart surgery, and you're laying in bed in the hospital, and here comes a nurse who has been doing this for 40 years, and she's telling you what you need to do to recover from this heart surgery. Now she has been, she knows her stuff. And all of a sudden some doctor right out of med school walks in. You are no longer talking to this nurse who possibly knows more about recovery than this doctor. Your attention goes to the doctor. That's what happens with pastors. And what we train people is, is bring, bring your friends to church who don't go to church and don't know the Lord. And they walk in the church and all of a sudden they meet the pastor and you have just handed off your disciple-making opportunity, for the most part, to that pastor, because he's now the expert in the room. Mm -hmm. When I said earlier that my hotspot is the worst hotspot, it's because during the discussion time, we want it to be facilitated by the hosts, and they are the ones who are developing the discussion, and people are just giving their thoughts and and. and and a lot of times during the discussion, they'll grab their Bibles and they'll be looking up a verse. And it's just a great time. In my group, as hard as I try not to do this, here's what happens. I'll ask the questions that are, that are on our weekly video. And people will answer and look at me and go, did I get the right answer? <laughs> and so when I am not in the room, the people who are hosting that hotspot are actually the disciple makers. And we believe that the Bible says that all of us are to disciple people. And so that's what I say is, is when you bring people to a church and meet the pastor, they want to now hear the pastor. Um, we want people to take the responsibility. And, uh, 
I had a lady call me. This was a great conversation. I had a lady call me who was really upset. She runs one of our hotspots. And she's like, I got this couple, and I just feel like they should be closer to the Lord. And I feel like they, they just won't trust God enough. And, and she's going on and on. She's just lamenting about, as she goes through the people in her hotspot, about where they are in their relationship with, with Christ. And she's frustrated. And I, I started laughing. I said, can I tell you how you made my day? <laughs> and I said, I want to apologize, first of all, because you're calling me to lament, and I am happy. And she goes, okay, explain this. And I said, you're acting like a disciple maker. You're taking responsibility for their spiritual growth, and you're frustrated. And if we just took what you're saying and what I'm saying and, and typed it out with no names associated it would sound like it was two pastors absolutely talking about somebody's spiritual growth. Absolutely. And that's what I want to see is that people are taking the responsibility and saying, I accept the responsibility to be the disciple maker. I think, I think I agree with you as well. Uh, too many, too many believers. In fact, in fact, the vast majority abdicate their responsibility for helping other believers grow to maturity and then be reproducing believers. Uh, we just leave that, and we, as you say, leave it to the professional. And sometimes that happens in our larger churches. It, it can happen in our very small churches, too. They see what's going on on the platform and all that, and say, well, those guys all know what they're doing. We're going to We'll let them take care of it. And we sit back and become complacent in the pew or the chair or wherever we may be. And it, it really has a detrimental effect and on the church, and I believe on the church as a whole today in America. And uh, that's why discipleship is absolutely imperative, and we, we've got to do it. And, it's, and, and really, Tim, it seems like you have found a way to do that. I don't know if this is the only way. I don't know if this is the best way, but I know it's a good way. And I'm liking what I hear and see uh, because particularly – in the midst of this pandemic that we've been experiencing, uh, many of our pastors and churches and leaders have seen the necessity to move toward this kind of platform for continuing ministry, for carrying out ministry. And they have found as well, I think one of the financial issues is that one, there's an expense in getting into it, but you don't have as much expense at the campus anymore when they're not there. I mean, there's a balance and there's good pros and cons. Uh, so I think it's a it's it's something that we all pastors need to consider. By the way, any pastors or leaders out there who would like to talk with Tim, uh, he'll be more than glad to help you and talk with you about that. I know he is. I, I, I've already recommended some other uh, young leaders and pastors to talk with him about how he does what he does because uh, his expertise and what they're doing during this time in our pandemic is helpful to many of our existing uh, churches that have campuses and so forth. So uh, if you need to uh, speak with him, I know he'd be glad to. He's going to give you some uh, web addresses and so forth and places where you can contact, contact him in a moment. But if you miss out on that, always contact us here at uh, bscm.org or at our uh, offices. Call us at the offices. We'll be glad to help you with that. So, so, Tim, with, with that in mind, I know that uh, uh, many are learning from this and so forth. Uh, any advice you can give any of these guys to help move forward and, and help them with this, uh, this kind of a different platform? 
Um, I would say, you know, one of the things that we stress is we tell people, follow me until you see Jesus. And that's a, that's a mantra that we say all the time. Follow me until you see Jesus. We have gotten into a point and, uh, where uh, people will say, you know, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm not perfect. You don't even need to say that. We all know everybody's not perfect. But here's the problem. When you say that in our culture, when you say, keep your eyes on Jesus, don't look at me. Most people don't have a Bible, and if they do, they can't find it. So how in the world do they even know who Jesus is? Absolutely. So when you say, follow Jesus, look at Jesus, I don't even know who Jesus is. And so I always tell people, look, look what Paul said. That's right. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We are imagers of Christ. We're his representatives. So I want you to take the responsibility and say, it's okay for you to look at me. I don't even need to tell you I'm not perfect because you already know that. But look at me and I'm going to show you how I follow Jesus. And I want you to do it until you can grasp who Jesus really is. Um, The second thing is, is if you're going to do this as a ministry, you got to figure out how to handle money. And one of the things that I found interesting was when I got involved with this, I started contacting um, house churches. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was not them. Most people who start a house church started out of angst. They're angry and upset at the traditional church. So they just went and did it themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm not mad at anybody. You know, I, I love church. I enjoy going to church. We did it as a, to reach people that the traditional church isn't reaching. We didn't do it to be that we're the only way. We're just trying to reach people that others are. But, in, but involved with that is a component of finances. And I think one of the things that we have figured out is how to handle the money. And so in our church right now, we have 10%. We, we just tithe right to the SBC. Uh, uh, and then we have 40% of our money uh, stays with us as we're trying to grow and stays in how we pay our salaries and stuff. And um, 10% goes towards uh, trying to start more groups. And then 40% of what we do actually stays within that household. Now, we don't take any offerings in our homes. We don't want anybody to think Mm -hmm. there's ever money in that home. So everything we do is online. But every time, like, I have, I know every person in every group. We have a program that we use that every week the hotspot host fills out who was there, what were their prayer requests, uh, questions they couldn't answer that comes to me. And then, uh, but that allows me to know who's in every group. So then... When people give, we take 40% of their giving and we put it. So if you've got, say, four or five couples that are giving, it doesn't take much to all of a sudden there's a big chunk of money in that group. And they're able to use it. The only two things that they are not allowed to use it for is anything of dealing with politics or abortion. And so uh, we've had groups that have taken their money and gone to the uh, uh, St. Croix the Duke Vacation Bible School for a, a yep. missionary there. Uh, we just had a group that put money into buying uh, uh, stuffed animals to give to police officers. So when they come up on a car wreck, 
when there's a children or a domestic abuse that they could pass out. We've had a group that just did uh, 750 meals to a, uh, to a, a homeless shelter. And so these are all things that, that that group can spend that money to. And I think that is what's helped us. My goal is by the time they kick me out, is that, we're, that we are living on 10% of, of the of the offerings and 90% goes back into that hot spot that those hot spots can spin anywhere yeah, that's that's an amazing thing and uh, I want to talk to you more about this we're out of time and uh, we kind of pushed it a little over but man thank you thank you for coming and, and sharing with us today this has been Tim Steele with Crosswaves Church and uh, we appreciate so much how you're doing ministry and we're learning a lot from it uh, would you come back and do another session with us? Sometime? Absolutely. Man, love to have you do that, and we'll continue this conversation. Folks, thank you again for joining with us here at uh, the Baptist State Convention of Michigan in our podcast, Punching Holes in the Darkness. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to serve you and to share these stories with you. Hope it's been a blessing to you. Look forward to hearing from you, and hope you'll be looking forward to hearing the next podcast. This has been Punching Holes in the Darkness, a podcast from the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. If you have liked this episode, please rate us and leave a review. That will help others to find us and enjoy these conversations too. And if you subscribe, you will be notified when new episodes are available. Join us next time as we help Michigan churches punch holes in the darkness.